This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep, deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General John McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast Mailbag Edition. We did the mailbag on Tuesday. It's good to be with you as we get ready for week 13. I can't believe week 13 is here already. Texans and Broncos. The biggest game at NRG Stadium since last Sunday. Texans and the Jags for the Houston Texans. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast, Sports Radio 610. Of course, joined as always by my good friend, the Hall of Famer. He's our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com. John McClain. And uh, yeah, John, the loss to the Jags combined with the Broncos being one of the hottest teams in football and this Texans Broncos game almost as important as the Texans Jags game was last week. Certainly important for the Texans playoff chances. The only thing that's missing is there's no divisional ramifications like last week's. But this is a huge, huge game on on kind of a thin, kind of a thin uh, board of games. On, on Sunday. This is one of not only one of the better games, but one of the most important games on the on the schedule. They had uh national media was in, NFL network, ESPN. They had sideline reporters, reporters up in the press box by me. It was uh fun to see national media coming around again. And uh Broncos, Sean Payton, he's uh, along with D'Amico Ryan's candidate for coach of the year. Dan Campbell, for some reason, still is the leading candidate. More people betting on him. Shane Steichen's in the running as well. He's done a fabulous job with the Colts. Right now, the Texans are in third place because they're tied record-wise with the Colts, but they don't own the tiebreaker because they lost that game. So every game is crucial. They've got to beat the Broncos because of the competition for the playoffs. They Right now, they're the first two teams on the outside looking in and the Colts are the team they're looking directly at. Yeah. What would qualify for you, John? They've got six games left. They're six and five. What would qualify for you? Like what's the best record that they could have where you would still be disappointed on the season? Uh, Considering where they've come, if they finished with a losing record, I'd be disappointed considering the schedule. Nobody can finish 500 anymore. And, and, you know, they had a tie last year. But I think at this point, they need to win nine games. If they win more, that's great. They've already won the number that I said they would win, six. And uh, they've showed, because it's Stroud, they can move the ball and score on anybody. Seven games in a row decided in the last 30 seconds. The one Sunday, 
uh, when Matt Amendola hit the crossbar, 29 seconds remained. So this team has showed it can play close games, it can win close games, but it also can lose close games. Yeah, they at this point, I think they're just I feel like they're just somebody that plays to the level of who they're playing against, which is given that they're a better team now, they're that's that's huge progress. You know, if they're if we're still talking next year about six and five and playing down to the level of teams, we'll feel considerably different. But this has been a whole lot of fun. Um, it, it would be nice to have the Texans on the winning end of a nice double-digit win this Sunday. I, I don't know how much more my heart can take at the end of these games. Well, I don't, that may not happen the rest of the year. Yeah. What amazes me is they can play so bad. No running game, terrible pass protection, had to burn two timeouts because of mental mistakes, and then they can't get close to Trevor Lawrence, touch him only twice, knocked him down two times, no sacks. And uh, they gave up four pass plays of 42 or more yards. And yet, if that 58-yard field goal had been a few inches more, they would have been tied going in probably overtime. So they played bad in a lot of areas, and they still could have won it because Stroud played another great game. Yeah, Stroud. Stroud's a superhero. I mean, that's that's my my overall takeaway with this team is he's just a tremendous, tremendous football player, and that's what keeps this team afloat right now. Like he is, he's not going to win the MVP of the league, but if we're taking the word valuable at what the face value definition of the word valuable is, he, he's there's a definite argument that he's the most valuable player in the league. Without him. You know, they're six and five right now. Without him, what are they, two and nine, probably? You know, they win a couple of Davis Mills would have won a couple. Yeah, they yeah, two and nine. I mean, this time last year, they were two and nine or whatever it was, or one, nine and one, whatever they were. Um, so that's that's how it would be. Probably, probably a more competitive version than last year's team, just based on D'Amico and the staff being good. So maybe, maybe I'm selling them a little short. <clears throat> but um, and with that in mind, John, I know you get the same email I do from Jimmy Shapiro with the odds in it for Super Bowl and MVP and all the different awards. There is one award that the odds makers have declared over. It's a TKO. They, every other rookie on the offensive side of the ball is taking a standing eight count in the corner, and they're about to get waved off because C.J. Stroud, in the eyes of the odds makers at least, <clears throat> he has clinched the offensive rookie of the year. They will take no more action on Offensive Rookie of the Year because it is that lopsided right now. Even if he suffered a season-ending injury right now, he might still win it. Oh, yeah. No, John, I, John, I said two weeks ago he could miss the rest of the season and he'd win the Offensive Rookie of the Year. He, he was doing things. They played 11 games. He was doing plenty of things through nine games that we hadn't seen any rookies do since Andrew Luck. You know, So I think he clinched it two weeks ago, and I think he's the odds makers think he's really clinched it now. Um, let's hope we don't have to put that to the test. Let's see him play 17 games, not uh, 11 games, and then a couple series against uh, against Denver. Um, so, um, so we'll dig more into the Broncos game a little later on this week when we do our six pack preview episode on Thursday. We're going to do some mailbag stuff here in just a little bit. But John, before we do that on Tuesday, we always do general news and notes. What do you got for us? Got a couple on Stroud before we talk about it. Uh, number one. He's the first rookie quarterback in history, throw for at least 300 yards in four consecutive games. He's got six overall. The record is Justin Herbert with eight. And his 304 yards Sunday uh, moved him past Herbert for the most yards by quarterback in his first 11 games. Now he's got a chance to overtake Patrick Mahomes. And the other one is he and, he and Tank Dell. As we know, they've become a prolific duo, not just a prolific rookie duo, 
but they're the first rookie tandem since the Colts in 2012 to have at least seven touchdown connections, and that was Andrew Luck and T.Y. Hilton. So those two got it on, got it going on, just like Stroud does. Yeah. This this has been we have a I don't want to hijack a mail. We have a really good mailback question about this rookie class. Um, what do you think the ceiling is for Tank Dell, John? Is he a is he a like a I know he's not a classic number one receiver just because of his size. You know, he's not the prototype, he's not what you would concoct in a lab, but neither was Antonio Brown. He was a smaller guy and he reached a stage of his career where he was getting hundred catches every year. What is Tank Dell, do you think, John? You've watched decades and decades of football. What, what, what do you think his ceiling is? I think uh, size guy ain't got nothing to do with it. I think he's making great leaping catches. The key is, can he stay healthy at his size? Yeah. You know, it always bothers me. The Texans list him at 5'10", and he's 5'8", he unless he grew two inches between the combine where he was 5'8", 165. Everybody keeps talking about his great speed. He didn't have great speed. He ran a 4-4-9 at the combine. He has great quickness. He's smart. He can stop and start on the dime. He can make quick cuts. But his speed's not great speed. Great speed was what Will Fuller had. But he knows how to use it. Man, those acrobatic catches he's made, like the one Sunday in which a 62-yarder got rubbed out because of an illegal shift that he was called on. But uh, I think Tank Dell, depending on who they have on the outside, Say they have Nico back, Noah Brown back. They're going to distribute the ball, which is one of the things that Stroud does so well. He doesn't just zero in on one guy. And I think for that reason, you're not going to see Tank getting 100 catches, but you can certainly see him being one of the most dangerous weapons in the NFL because he can do so many things, line up so many places. And trying to grab him is like trying to grab a lightning bug. It's hard. Yeah, he had that catch on Sunday, John, where his legs were getting swept out from underneath him as he was catching the ball over the middle, too. He's he's an amazing young player, no doubt about it. What do you got next? The uh, the Broncos right now, they've and this is something that hadn't been wasn't an issue Sunday, but it was in the two previous games when when uh, Stroud had six turnovers. But the Broncos league the lead with twenty two takeaways, and they've had fifteen in their last four games which is the main reason they're they're winning five in a row. And I thought it was very interesting. In their five-game winning streak, they've given up eight touchdowns. They gave up 10 in that 70-20 <laughs> loss to Miami when they began 0-3. And, and in the first six games, they gave up 36.2 points a game. In the last six, 16.5. But I think any defense the Texans goes up against, whether it's Denver Cleveland, Indy, anybody, they're going to be able to move the ball and score points because of Stroud and because of his receivers. Even Sunday, when he was pressured on 60% of his dropbacks and had to throw a lot on the run, Sean, he threw for over 300 yards, two touchdowns, ran for one, ran for a season high. Teams got to see him doing things he hadn't been doing before, and they can score on anybody, and that sets up very well for the game coming up Sunday. John, the incredible thing, he does this with no running game. He was the running game on Sunday. Like he had six, six scrambles for 47, five scrambles. And then the one, the touchdown looked like a designed run of some sort where they had Andrew Beck faking, jumping over the top, which if you fell for that, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, uh, 
who were they playing? Jacksonville. I mean, you're falling for Andrew Beck. Well, if anybody's going to fall for Andrew Beck, it's Jacksonville. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, right. After the kickoff return earlier this year, for sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, those are those are some those are some good Stroud numbers. What else you got, John? That's it. That's it. Those are the general news and notes. That's the CJ Stroud news and notes. Eight of them, and uh, and I'm glad they're good because if this was last year, or the year before, or the year before, they would all be negative. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, they would be bad. They would be bad. By the way, um, for those wondering, I mentioned C.J. Stroud <clears throat> off the board for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, the Texans are 12th on the Super Bowl odds board right now, John. They are, they are 12th at 66-1. to 1. Um, They are 7-1 to 1 to win the AFC South. So that, ga- that game Sunday was very damaging to their chances of winning the division. They're two back of the Jags. Uh, Jags are 8-3. Texans are 6-5. and five. But the Jaguars tiebreaker they they line up to do much better in the tiebreakers than the texans do they're one and one against each other but the jags have already played five of their six divisional games they're four and one in the division the texans are one and two so the best they can do is have the same record in the division which would then make the tiebreaker common opponents and i think the jags are kind of cleaning up there too because two of their losses two of their three losses are to uh, kansas city and san francisco who the Texans do not play. So they're and their other losses to the Texans. So they're they're undefeated basically against common opponents that the two teams have. So they kiss that division title goodbye. Yeah, yeah. I think it, you you literally you've got to you're two back, but you have to pick up three games to win the division. It's not happening. Even with this easy schedule the Texans have, the Jags play a lot of these same teams. And and you know what's really screwing the Texans now, John, before we get to the mailbag here? Joe Burrow's injury. I don't know if you've looked at this. But the four teams the Texans are chasing right now, the Jags in the division, and then the three wildcard teams, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Indianapolis. I may have that order. I may have that out of order. I think it was Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Indianapolis, five, six, seven. All four of those teams play Cincinnati with Jake Browning at quarterback. <laughs> the Texans Talk about it. Joe Burrow. Man. Yeah, so – um, it's that's the way it works in the NFL. Sometimes you get some good injury luck. Sometimes you get some bad injury Sean, luck. But that, I believe this: mm-hmm. that if the Texans don't make the playoffs, instead of going on the road, now on the road they've proved they can play on the road. But if they mm-hmm. go on the road and lose, I don't think fans are going to be any more fired up about a team that loses on a wild card or a team that wins nine or ten and loses on the tiebreaker, they're going to be so pumped about next season. Oh, yeah. People will they'll, – they'll be chomping at the bit for next season to uh, to get here for sure. I, I was looking at another number, John, because I get people asking me, it's like, all right, well, how, ma- how many games do they need to win to get – do you think? Like, what's the record need to be? Um, Mike Sando had this in The Athletic. Since they went to seven teams in each conference, every team that's won 11 games has made the postseason. So if you get to 11 and six, history – Recent history tells us you're going to make the postseason. I think out of eight teams that have finished 10 and seven, one missed the postseason. So 88% at 10 and seven have made the postseason. And then it starts to get murkier at nine and eight. And then nine and eight, you start to get some division winners in there. 
that that won bad divisions. That's obviously not going to be the case with the AFC South. Jacksonville's probably going to finish with, I would imagine, at least 11 or 12 wins. But if you get to double-digit wins, you're you're in all likelihood, you're in. Uh, so that's what I would tell Utopia Podcast listeners. You know, what's kind of scary is two games we thought they were going to be extra tough, Cleveland with Deshaun Watson, Jets with Aaron Rodgers. They're still going to be tough because both defenses are great and both defensive lines are great. And the Texans offensive line was terrible against the Jaguars. And the Jaguars have one great defensive lineman, Josh Allen, and yet they still worked them over. And I'm still convinced that D'Amico Ryans did not want to trust the protection on fourth and 12 uh, with 30 seconds left. And that's why he went for the field goal because the offensive line had been getting abused by Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen. And they better, they better play better against the Broncos who have a good defensive front, but then they got the Jets and the Jets have a great defensive front. Yep. Good point. Good point. All right, John, uh, you ready to do a little mailbag action here? Absolutely. All right, let's do it. Um, we've got to, we start off with a couple emails from outside of the United States. Dario Guerra in Mexico says, I've been lucky enough to travel to some Texan games, but the next one is special. My wife, kids, and I will make the road trip from Monterey up to Houston and take my three-year-old son to his first Texans game uh, when they play the Broncos on Sunday. I'm really looking forward for this father and son time, but since I haven't been in NRG Stadium since 2019, can I have some pregame and postgame recommendations? Also, what suggestions do you have for things to do while I'm in town? John, what would you suggest to Dario that he do before and after the game? Dario, before the game, I would come outside the Bud Plaza uh, that faces uh, 610, and I would go down to the to the touchdown alley or whatever they call it, to the Sports Radio 610 stage, in which you'll find Sean Pendergast and Seth Payne for a three-hour pregame. I'll be on there at 11, 15, uh, 45 minutes before the kickoff, and come over there and introduce yourselves because Seth and Sean during breaks – Go out and talk to people in the audience. I'm happy to do it too. As far as what doing inside the stadium, I'm well, hang on real quick, John. Before we get before we yeah. get to that, it's because you said in in Bud Light Plaza. We're not in Bud Light Plaza. Anymore. No, you're outside. Facing we're Bud outside. Light Plaza. Yeah, yeah, we're outside. We're we're right along what they call the Boulevard, right across. You'll see it, Dario. It's a huge stage with me and Seth and, and at 11:15, John up there talking. It's right across from the huge Modelo activation that they. It's on the Astrodome side. Yep, Astrodome side. Continue, John. You were going to talk about inside the stadium. And inside, I don't know because I'm I'm never go inside the stadium up to the press box. But coming there depends on where you're staying. If you're staying close to the stadium, as far as restaurants and stuff like that, you can't go wrong. But I always tell people when they ask me what to do in Houston, I say, "Well, where are you staying?" That's the first thing, and then I'll give them places that are that are within close proximity of their hotels. Yeah, I would say here, here's what I would say. You definitely, definitely, Dario, stop by the pregame show and say hi to us. Please do that. We'll take some pictures. We'll bring your son up on the stage and we'll we'll take some fun pictures with him during a break in the pregame show. So I would say that for sure. I would say too, if Dario, if you're on social media, you're on Twitter, reach out to Stephanie Stradley on social media. She's sort of the unofficial kind of people coming in from foreign countries that are Texan fans contact and she can get you. She, she and some friends throw a big tailgate in the blue lot there. So, you know, and I know you got a three-year-old son with you. So cutting super loose in the, 
parking lot tailgating may not be on your agenda, but you'll be able to at least enjoy some fellowship on a Sunday morning with some Texan fans. So I would reach out to Stephanie Stradley on social media. Um, and the other thing I would say, if you're looking Hold for on, suggestions, it's, it's at Steph Stradley. If you want to yep. DM her. Thank you. There you go. So at Steph Stradley on Twitter. Um, I would say too, you know, if you're, if you're staying in town for part of the week, like after the game or whatever, uh, and you got your three-year-old with you. NASA is always pretty cool, right? Right, John? Let's go, go do a little space program stuff. Zoo lights over at the Houston Zoo. You got to get uh, a reservation. That's a great yep. thing. At Christmas, the Galleria is lit up like crazy. So is downtown Memorial City. I love to ride around with Carol looking at Christmas decorations. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there, there's a few things you can do while you're in town. Dario, we hope to see you out at the game <clears throat> this Sunday. Dennis is in Budapest, John. John, we are so global. It's it's crazy. Um, Dennis is a Texan fan in Budapest, and he gives us a for real or fugazi. So you ready to stretch out your hamstrings for Thursday's episode, John, with a for real or fugazi? First of all, I'd like to say for Budapest, uh, one of my favorite shows, FBI International, created by Baylor grad Derek Az, is based in Budapest, and I can't wait till it starts back up. Okay, well, there you go. There's that. Are you ready to do a for real or fugazi, John? Absolutely. Okay, but Dennis says this, for real or Fugazi, the Jags' loss is better in the long term for this Texans team as having to fight harder for their playoff chances gives them more valuable long-term lessons as opposed to getting to the driver's seat already. For Fugazi. real Fugazi. They <laughs> wanted to it. win that game. They wanted to yeah, win the course. division this year, which yeah. means they play a first-place schedule next year. So they found out this year, you know, they – they didn't capitalize on playing the worst division in football. They went two and two with losses to Atlanta and Carolina on the road yeah. with field goals, no time left. You know they like to have those back. So it's going to be one. tougher next season. So ultimately, if they don't win the division, there are some positives to that. But, man, you always want to win the division. Yeah. I, D Dennis, I, I admire your coping mechanism that you have here for losing to Jacksonville <laughs> in that all-important game. But uh, – but no, it's not. I'm, I'm with John on that one. That's a fugazi for me. Uh, loyal listener Chris in the ATL, loyal mailbag emailer as well, says, I know Slowick is getting a lot of criticism for this past game, and he should with certain play calls. But if you go back to the first game against the Jags and compare the box score and team stats from this past one, there's a lot of similarities. In both games, the Texans had three offensive TDs. They had over 350 yards of offense and averaged over six yards per play. The, excuse me. The key difference was the fluke kickoff return by Beck and three field goals by Fairbairn. Technically, Amendola left six points off the board in this game. Two questions from that. Out of all the injured Texans, is Fairbairn the most needed player to return right now? I know where you feel about this, John. Yeah, I've thought that all along because there's yep. so many close games. You need a field goal kicker you can rely on, and they don't have one. And they've had eight games, seven games. The last seven have been decided in the last 30 seconds, and they certainly could have used Fairbairn kicking at the end of the Carolina and Atlanta games instead of them doing it. They got one spot left, and they're holding it for him. And we should mention Amendola got waived yesterday, but they're going to – if he when he clears waivers, no one's picking him up. They're going to put him back on the practice squad. Does that mean we see him again on Sunday with the elevation from the practice squad, John? Because they had, they had signed him to the 53-man roster when they put – Fairbairn on injured reserve what 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 are you hearing or what do you what would you speculate do you think there's tryouts going on today with kickers over there 
Yeah, they had they had I think Brent Mar Bar in there. Brent okay. or Brad, I can't even remember. But D'Amico said he's our kicker. He said it yesterday. Wow. So if he says he's our kicker, I believe it. By the way, he brought up about Bobby Slowick. Yeah. I would see so many people blasting Slowick for Stroud throwing deep on third and one and fourth and one. He didn't call deep passes no. on third and fourth and one. Those were CJ's decision. And I asked D'Amico, and I knew he wasn't going to say anything. He said, well, we'll have to look at it. And we'll ask Bobby Slowick on Thursday and he's going to take the heat, but that's Stroud making those decisions, and those are rookie decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I do think Slowick deserves some criticism for being in shotgun on third. I and, agree. Take away the quarterback sneak, take away yeah. the possibility of a handoff. I never like short yardage in the shotgun. Yeah, I, I think he deserves criticism for that. The, the other question, question that empty backfield in the shotgun right. in short yardage. In short yardage or down near the goal line, absolutely. No question. The other the other question that Chris has, if Fairbairn were healthy, do you think Slowick would have called plays differently in certain situations knowing he had a more reliable kicker? I didn't see anything no. on Sunday, John, where I felt like Matt Amendola's presence changed the way Slowick called plays or D'Amico decided what to do in certain down and distance situations. Did you? No, not at all. In the last field goal, he missed the first half of 50 yards. The last time Fairbairn kicked a field goal, it was 50 yards, but somehow he got hurt on his quad injury, uh, maybe high-fiving people as he was coming off at halftime. But uh, I think they would have scored a few more points. Now, in fairness to Amendola, he kicked yeah. a 38-yard field goal to win a road game against the Bengals. So he has he has done something positive. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, J.R. Cortez in Spicewood, Texas, says two questions. In light of Frank Reich getting fired yesterday – I wonder who has more regret, the Browns with the Deshaun Watson trade or the Panthers with the hiring of Reich and the trade-up for Bryce Young? I wouldn't trade places with either of those fan bases right now. John, who do you think has more regret over their decisions, the Haslams with Deshaun Watson or David Tepper with the cumulative decisions of Frank Reich and giving up all that, all those assets to go get Bryce Young? Well, I think David Tepper would. I saw somebody today goes, well, that's news about the fact they were talking to the Texans and about and the Bears about trading up number one or number two. Ryan Poles had already talked about that, so it wasn't news. And, so Tepper. Uh, Tepper talked about it before. I know you're referring to his yeah. press conference today, Yeah, but he talked about it back at the draft, he too. He did. And yeah. uh, so I would think if you're a fan of the Panthers, and not because of Bryce Young. Bryce Young may go to the Hall of Fame. It's ridiculous for people to write him off at this point, considering he doesn't have talent around him. I thought it was very interesting in his news conference that I heard on NFL radio. First time he talked to Frank Reich, he called him Reich. And, uh, and then uh, they – they're in a terrible situation for drafting players. And there's talk over there that Ben Johnson, the most coveted coordinator in the NFL from Detroit, that he might come home to North Carolina. If he's got a brain, he's not going to work for David Tepper. He's going to Chargers and, and coach Justin Herbert yeah. and the talent that the Chargers have not going to Carolina. And people say what's gone on with Tepper will hurt them from getting a coach. That's what they were saying this time last year. What's happened with the Texans to go from David Culley and they look like they're going to fire Lovey Smith and Ryan Bill O'Brien was fired. Who'd want to work for that organization? They're not going to get a good coach. John, um, 
Is Ben Johnson the the, the, the D'Amico Ryans of this hiring cycle? Yeah, until we saw him on Thanksgiving. No, they, uh, I think, yes. He interviewed with the Texans. They were very impressed. They interviewed a great group. I wrote a column that's on sportsradio610.com about what would have happened if the McNairs had hired Peyton and the Walmart heirs had hired D'Amico because mm. D'Amico interviewed two places. He turned down everybody else. Peyton interviewed here on a Zoom. And then, of course, he was hired up there. When D'Amico was announced on the 31st, Peyton revealed he was going to Denver, even though it wasn't official till three days later. And, yes, the Broncos did, as Ian Rappaport reported, make a late run at D'Amico. And uh, Jimmy Saxon, his agent, told him he could get a little more money. D'Amico said, no, this is where I want to be. Giving him my word, I'm taking this job. And which is just another reason to love D'Amico Ryans if you're a fan. But they're in trouble over there because they gave up all those picks. They gave up a one, two, and a three in their best in their best receiver. And now they're hurting. They've had two linemen go out. Their line is not near as good as they thought it would be. Their best skill position player will be 35 next year, Adam Thielen. And the only other thing they could do, Sean, would be Remember there were reports the Rams offered them two ones and something else for Brian Burns? See if they can come up with something for Brian Burns and use those assets to help Bryce Young. Mm, man, they're that they are in a rough spot. It's bleak. It's bleak. You're absolutely right. Other question from JR. He says, with five of the top six picks from this year playing a big role on Sunday, Texan draft picks he's talking about. Is this season the best performance by a rookie class in team history? Right now it is, but they're going to have to surpass 2006 draft with uh, Mario Williams and D'Amico Ryans, Owen Daniel, Eric Winston, and Charles Spencer was starting at left tackle till he had a terrible, terrible leg injury that ruined his career. Your buddy David Anderson was yeah. there. Yep. Uh, but because this one's got a great quarterback and uh, plus players at other positions, even Xavier Hutchinson had, what, a 34-yard yeah. catch? Yeah. I, they don't have any room for him, but I'm eager to see what he can do after what he did at Iowa State and the yeah. chances he's gotten this year. Nick Casario, working with D'Amico Ryans, has had the, maybe uh, the best draft in franchise history and maybe one of the best ever. John, I the question was, is this the best performance by a rookie class in team history? Obviously, how they, Obviously, how they look – over five or six years is a different question. That 2006 class, clearly the best class over the course of their careers as Houston Texans. I don't even know. Like, I, I know D'Amico won Defensive Rookie of the Year that year, and I know Mario Williams was, you know, maybe not number one overall pick good, but he showed some signs in his rookie year. He had two rookie starting tackles, taking one, two in the third round. Right, right, yes. But I don't even th- – I, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's not close. Like, Will Anderson is – third for defensive rookie of the year right now. They just shut down the offensive rookie of the year because CJ is so dominant. Tank Dell is going to be a thousand yard receiver this year. Like I, I feel like if you took those two rookie classes and you did like a big book, you combine them. And I know we've only got 10 games or 11 games worth of this class, but let's pretend it's an 11 game season and the season's over. And you were to power rank the performances of the rookies in those, in those two rookie classes. I feel like three of the top four are guys in this class. You know, D'Amico's the only one that cracks the top four of, to me, uh, in this of the rookies in these classes. They had five starters out of that draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, when the season began. This one's better because of Stroud. Take Stroud yes. out of it yeah. with no quarterback, and I I can't see that this one is better than than that one. Yeah, no. I mean, obviously, clearly CJ is the catalyst for 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 my take on this whole thing. Um, all right, our guy Rick Tyndall has a question, John. Hey, Rick, thanks for listening. It's a question about the Cougs. He's a big Coug. Rick Tyndall is. Talk about the candidates for the University of Head University of Houston head coaching job. He says Jeff Trailer, UTSA, Willie Fritz of Tulane, and Gary Patterson's name has now come up. John, former TCU coach, as a possibility for the Cougs. If you were if you were uh, Chris Pesman and Tillman Fertitta and everybody, Reina Couture, uh, making all these decisions, how would you power rank those candidates right there? If I'm U of H, I want somebody with a great relationship with Texas high school coaches like Jeff Trailer at UTSA. Mm -hmm. Cliff Kingsbury's also been bandied about. He coached there. He has great connections from being at Texas Tech as a player and as a coach. And uh, Willie Fritz is the most successful. I think they're 10 and 1 right now. I don't think they've played their conference championship game yet. He's 63. Don't know if they want to go to a coach who's 63 or if they want a younger guy trailer won three state championships at Gilmer. He's coached in colleges and is an assistant coach before UTSA. And a lot of it's going to have to do U of H is going to have to come up with NIL money mm -hmm. to recruit high school players in the number two recruiting market in the country, Houston, they're going to have to, and the, what Kelvin Sampson and the basketball program have done is tough for a football coach because he's going to have to match everything that Kelvin's done. Maybe not being a final four participant every year, but just the kind of program he runs and the overall success. But I, in order, I would like it to be Fritz because he's had the best record trailer number two, because of trailer being uh, so successful at UTSA and having such strong high school background and then I'd like to see Kingsbury before Patterson. And one reason I don't want Gary Patterson is he beat Baylor too much at TCU. <laughs> well, he, I mean, but at the it wasn't good for Patterson at the end at TCU. You know, what I mean, like no, he, it wasn't. But he wants to come back, and I, I just don't think they're going to go the Patterson angle. Don't know if it's Kingsbury. I'm guessing it's going to come down to Trailer and Fritz. And both of them have done tremendous jobs. Yeah, I, I think Trailer would be a home run because of the recruiting aspect that you're talking about there. I think he, I think he'd be a great hire for the Cougs. Uh, a couple more here, John. Dave Howard uh, asks, I watched or says I watched the game on TV, which is notorious for rarely showing the defensive backfield during and after plays, except tight shots of catches or misses. As I was watching Stroud scramble for time, I wondered if the coverage was particularly tight. I also wondered if Stroud was gun shy this past week because of his picks the previous week, you guys were at the game. What did you see? John, there were a lot of plays where CJ was moving around, buying time, buying time. Sometimes he threw it away. He threw it into traffic a couple times. Sometimes he completed balls. What did you see on Sunday from, from your vantage point up in the press box? Dave, I've never thought for a moment that he was gun shy. About I don't either. either. I, yeah. That's, Not that's at all. Totally. Never yeah. heard it mentioned anywhere. You're the first person to bring it up. Yeah. I think that the pass protection was terrible. Too many times guys got beat immediately, and he was running immediately. And I thought he did a great job. Throw for over 300 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers. You run for a touchdown. You have the most yards rushing in the game, and you're season high. I thought he played a tremendous game under the circumstances and when he was under almost constant pressure as opposed to Trevor Lawrence, 
who was under almost no pressure. And uh, I think uh, it was, those were not all coverage. I think they were all about the protection. Yeah. Stroud, Stroud's he's, he's such a tremendous player. John, I, I tell you what, I do think one of the things that CJ really misses, especially missed in this past game, because he was doing a lot of buying of time and hoping guys would find their way open. He misses Noah Brown in those situations right now. You go back and watch that Cincinnati game. I believe it was, I think that was a game where Noah Brown had a hundred and something yards in that game. It might've been the, might've been yeah, the game back, before back hundred yard games. It was, it was against Tampa and, and Cincinnati. Noah Brown had two huge games back to back, but particularly in that Cincinnati or yeah, the, particularly in the Cincinnati game um, when CJ would do what he was doing on Sunday and buying time, it felt like there was at least four or five times in that game where Noah Brown worked his way back towards CJ and there were still big chunk plays 20, 25 yards every time. Um, but Noah Brown seems to be the one that he's got the best connection with when the play breaks down. Noah Brown seems to be the cagiest one in terms of finding a, an open spot on the field somewhere that CJ's got a clean throwing lane to him. I think he misses Noah Brown. I think I, I definitely think he missed Noah Brown on Sunday against Jacksonville. I think he missed him in those kind of situations. I don't know if I've seen a Texan receiver other than Andre Johnson, maybe DeAndre Hopkins, who had a knack for getting open down the field, not coming back to the ball, but running left or right. Now, Tank has an act for getting open down the field. Uh, and they'd love to have these receivers together for the first time since the first game or two, I think maybe since the first game. And also, one of the biggest surprises to me at that game was they didn't use Dalton Schultz, didn't target him, didn't target tight ends at all. Don't know if it's the game plan or if it was the coverage, but they got to get Dalton Schultz involved again. Yeah, the Jags are not a good team covering tight ends, and Dalton Schultz was a non-factor in that game. You're right. That was strange. He was one of my keys to the game going into it on uh, on Friday well, last You were week. right. Him not being a key to the game might have been the reason they lost. Maybe, maybe. All right, last one, John. Joe Q, frequent emailer to the podcast. Is Brock Purdy the biggest miss by the NFL scouting complex since Tom Brady? Brady's a sixth round. Purdy's a seventh round. Um, Dak was in the fourth round. So, yes, Tom Brady – is the Brock Johnny Curry. Unitas was an 18th round draft choice. They used to have 30 rounds like baseball, yeah. but in in the last 40, 40 years, yes. Yeah. Purdy now it's his second season because so it's early to say he's number two to Brady. But boy, if he keeps it up, he's going to be in the running. He's in the MVP conversation. He's putting up huge numbers. I can't I can't do the deep dive Joe Q did. John Joe Q sends in these charts that he puts together where he's comparing because I guess Brock Purdy has played 16 games now or 17. He's played the equivalent of a full season now. Brock Purdy has, you know, with his starts from last year, plus the starts from this year, it's the equivalent of one season. So Joe put a chart together where he compared Brock Purdy's first 16 games to the rookie seasons of several prominent quarterbacks of the last 20 years or so. And it is interesting to see how he stacks up. I would say of all those teams, maybe other than Ben Roethlisberger, when he was a rookie on the Steelers and they went 15-1, and one, I mean, Brock Purdy is probably on teams that are considerably better than a lot of the quarterbacks that were on the list. You know, a lot Oh, of absolutely. Playmakers yeah. on every level. Great coaching yeah. staff. Had a great defensive coordinator last year. So he stepped into a great situation, just like Big Ben. They're like, oh, my God, he keeps falling. He keeps falling. Aaron Rodgers, oh, man, he was supposed to be the first pick. And, look, they dropped right into excellence. 
Do you tell me what you think about his follow-up question? Joe's follow-up question has Kyle Shanahan systematized NFL offense to the point where he can plug in a guy nobody wants and deliver elite results, almost like Moneyball in the NFL. And he goes on to ask, do you think they have the balls to trade Brock Purdy at some point for a whole bunch of draft capital and then plug somebody who's got far more physical talent, like a Sam Darnold in? Not this year, obviously, but like in the future and let somebody else pay Brock Purdy $50 million a year or whatever it is. Or do you think if Brock Purdy keeps playing like this, they go ahead and pay him $50 million bucks a year? Yeah, he can plug in anybody. Somebody like Trey Lance, huh? Yeah, I mean, so you need to pick the right guy. But uh, No, yeah. they're not trading Brock Purdy. If they got a guy they like, they're going to keep him. They're not going to keep bouncing around quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, John, what do you got going on on the uh, the website? You mentioned uh, the, the the one article um, that I know I want to talk to you about on our show tomorrow that you just mentioned. What what uh, your article that you got up on the website? It's about uh, if Sean Payton had come to Houston and Tamika right. uh, Ryan had gone to Denver. And that's I've a got, fun hypothetical. Yeah. I've got another one uh, based on what happened to the Texans in the game, and I'll have another one. Not sure about the topic yet, but I had a lot of fun uh, doing the one on. Peyton and Ryan's and both team are very happy. Both are candidates to be voted NFL coach of the year. I'm John. I'm doing a piece on the Houston press for tomorrow or Thursday. I can't decide yet. Um, but is, is CJ Stroud versus Trevor Lawrence, the first real marquee rivalry that we've had in the AFC South. You do that for Thursday. I'll do it for Wednesday. Is that what you <laughs> No stealing. Topics, no, it wasn't John. until you just brought it up. That's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, there hasn't the the closest thing we got, I think, was Deshaun and Andrew Luck for one year, and then Luck up up and retired. I think that that would have been the one. That would have been seeing Deshaun Watson and Andrew Luck. Deshaun obviously had his own set of things going on, um, but seeing those two guys go at it twice a year, um, we've never had anything. I don't. We never had anything like Trevor Lawrence and C.J. Stroud. What potentially they could be in the division. So I, that's that's what I'm going to write about, John. I wonder when Vince Young was Rookie of the Year. And uh, those six, who the other quarterbacks were, would have been David Carr here, but I can't remember who it was in Indy. Was it a Garrard? Um, was it David Garrard? In, in, well, no, in Indy it, it was, was Peyton, Peyton Manning. So it was, yeah, it was Peyton and Vince Young for one year. For one year. Not, not what you're talking about. You got the yeah. best idea. Yeah. Damn, I wish I'd have thought of that. Well, you know, John, I have my moments. Why don't you do it for Wednesday, and I'll save it for later in the week. Okay. <laughs> you we'll change like, a few like, words. Great minds just think alike. We That's never right. About it. That's right. Uh, John, I enjoyed it as always. Thanks very much, John. All right, good stuff. That's the great John McClain. Uh, big thanks to James Jackson, our producer, who's back. He's back from a Bahamian cruise. Uh, and uh, he uh, good to have James back. Big thanks to all the guys who subbed for James uh, while he was gone. James is responsible for getting this podcast to all of you in a timely fashion, and he does a tremendous job of doing that. Click the subscribe button. You'll get it in the most timely fashion when it drops, sent to your uh, whatever device it is you use to listen to your podcast. We appreciate everybody subscribing, listening, and what's been a really exciting Houston Texans 2023 season. So, James and John, I'm Sean. We are out of time. We will see all of you on Thursday for our preview, a deep dive on the Denver Broncos versus the Houston Texans. Until then, enjoy your week, everybody.